Father in heaven, we come here tonight and we humble our hearts now before you, crying out to you that you would send us the Holy Spirit. For without the Holy Spirit, we cannot understand your word. And tonight, our desire is to understand your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Saul was on his way to the city of Damascus. Saul was on his way. He was on a mission. And he was pretty certain that he was on a mission for God. Until that blinding light struck and he was knocked to the ground and ended up blind. Tonight, I want to talk to you just a little bit about some of the experiences that Paul had, Saul had, Paul had. Saul became Paul through the calling and the empowerment of the great God that we serve, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. A man who was a persecutor became a preacher. A man who was against the cause of God converted sides and became completely dedicated to the cause of God. And tonight, we are living in the world in such an age that each one of us have a similar decision to make about on which side we will stand, whose life will we advance. Will we advance the life of God and through Jesus Will we say, as Paul did, I determined to know nothing except the cross of Christ and Him crucified? So tonight, I would like to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we find here Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, and this is what he says here, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ through the will of God. Paul was called. Would you agree with that? Would you agree that he had a dramatic and miraculous calling? Obviously, getting struck from his, his horse and falling to the ground blind, it was obviously a miraculous calling by God. He goes on to say in verse 2, though, he's writing now, he's writing unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Now, so we see that not only was Paul himself called, but in speaking to the church in Corinth, he also felt that they were called. And they weren't just called to any calling. He goes on to say that they were called to be saints. How many saints do we have here tonight? Well, I don't know. That's a tough question, isn't it? It's so hard to raise your hand when you know that there are things in your life and in your world that you struggle with that would leave you a little less than saintly on some days and a little more than less than saintly on other days. Well, he goes on to say here, not only does he talk about the church in Corinth, but he goes on to indicate here, says, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Now, if you want the Steve Dickman interpretation of that, Paul has just said, I got called. The church in Corinth got called with all the saints there, 
and anybody who calls on the name of Jesus is also called. If you're here tonight, I'm making an assumption that you call on the name of Jesus. And Phoenix is a place in this world because he says that in every place, with all that in every place that call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. An interesting way to say that I think everyone is called. And that's the idea I get from this section in 1 Corinthians here that Paul says, I was called. The church is called. The saints are called. And everyone who calls on the name of Jesus is called. Are you called tonight? Are you called tonight? I believe that each one of us have been called. But it could be, it could be that some of us have not been paying attention to our calling. In fact, that's the very situation that Saul found himself in when he was on the road to Damascus. We actually find in the spirit of prophecy some enlightenment about this, talking about if you read the uh, section there in Acts of the Apostles and, and, and other places, you find that Saul was being bothered. He was being bothered by the behavior that he saw in the life of Stephen when Stephen was stoned. Saul was there. He was holding the coats. He said, we've got to get rid of this heretic. But when he participated in that event and he looked up and he saw Stephen looking up as it were into heaven and, and that calm look on his face, he said, there's something different about this man. And I think that was wearing on him. And the Holy Spirit was working on him. But he wasn't paying very much attention. Somehow, God tends to get our attention. Personally, I would like for God to get my attention in a much easier way than it seemed he had to work with in the case of Saul. How many of you would like to be blind, even for just a few moments? Yeah, I think so. I think we would like for God to work with us in a different way. You know, it goes on here in uh, 1 Corinthians and some very, very interesting uh, reading here in this, in this chapter, and we're going to explore some of that. In verse 7, it says this, and, and it's talking about why, why do we get called? What is it that God wants to do? Why is He calling us? And in verse 7, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's interpretation here evidently was that we are called, and uh, he says earlier that grace and peace and all these wonderful things be upon you, but he says we are called, we have been asked by God to do a work for Him, and God is going to empower us to do that work, and He doesn't want us to be short on anything we need to do the work that He has called us to do. As we wait for what? For the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you waiting tonight for the coming of Jesus? Raise your hand. Do you want to see Him come soon? A few months ago, I buried my father. I can tell you for sure I want to see Jesus come very soon. I don't want to hold on here. What are we waiting for? I think we should get over whatever we're waiting on 
and do whatever God is asking us to do. I believe Jesus himself is waiting in the heavenly courts and he wants to see the work on this earth finish soon. We're told that the sorrow we experience here is only a, a small drop or a small portion of what God himself experiences every day. When he looks down on this planet and he sees the starving children and he sees the sin and the, and the death and the wars and all of these things taking place on this planet, don't you know that he's suffering right along with his children? I think sometimes we ignore this and we think he's just up there waiting with his feet propped up, waiting for something to happen. I believe that God is experiencing our sorrow times an infinite number of, of sorrows and that he too would like to see this work get done. Verse 8 goes on to say, Who shall confirm you unto the end? that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The calling that was received by Paul, the calling that he was talking about to the Corinthian church, the calling that he was talking about to us is a calling that we should live by the power of God in such a way that the Holy Spirit will be able to say of us on that day, you are blameless in the power of your Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? God is calling us. He is calling us today. And in verse 9, Paul goes on to say, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We serve a faithful God. If He calls us, He is intentionally preparing to empower us to do the work that He has called us to do. I believe there's one thing God needs more than anything else, and it's not our abilities. As much as we would like to believe there's something about ourselves that God could just reach down and use and say, yeah, this really is great. I'm glad this person can sing so nicely. Listen, God needs our availability, not just our ability. We can talk about our ability. We can show off our ability. With all the kinds of things we can do with our abilities, we can post our abilities on the wall. We can advertise our abilities on the international world wide web. We can talk about them on Facebook. But what God is looking for is a people who will agree to do what He has asked them to do. It's a people who will agree to work for Him according to His calling, not according to their own ability. We read in our verse tonight, in 1 Corinthians, same chapter, in verse 26, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, and not many mighty, and not many noble are called. God doesn't need our human wisdom. God doesn't need our human nobility. He doesn't need our rank. He doesn't need any of those things. He needs us as individuals completely and totally committed to Him. He doesn't even need our money. He said He owns the, ca the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the world itself. He owns all the gold and all the silver. You know, I, I want to explore, though, something here in verse 9 just a moment. It says God is faithful, and I like that because I need a faithful God. I need a faithful God. But it also says, by whom ye were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What? does it mean to be in fellowship with Jesus Christ our Lord? 
Philippians chapter 3. Paul expands on this just a little bit. Philippians chapter 3, and I'm going to read a couple of verses here. We're going to explore, starting in verse 7 here, just a minute. A minute. But uh, what things were gained to me, uh, those I counted lost for Christ? Yea, doubtless, I count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his what? Sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. You see, the fellowship of Jesus is a life that will be poured out in sacrifice. The word, the word there in Philippians was his sufferings. Jesus came with a heart that was overflowing with love for mankind. And he poured out his life. He poured out his life. There's a statement in Spirit of Prophecy. He says, he gave all and then he gave himself. I've got a question for you tonight. If you have been called, which according to what I read here, every single one of us have been called, if you have been called, have you yet given your all? Because that's all that God wants. We don't serve a God who is a 50% kind of God. We do not serve a God who is an 80% kind of God. We don't even serve a God who is a 99% kind of God. We serve a God who is asking for only one thing, and that's 100%. Because that is his example. That is what he gave. He poured out himself to this world. He came from the heavenly courts where everything is bright and glorious to this dark world where everything is sin and sorrow. And he poured out his life here in service, selfless service to humankind. He gave us an example to live by. He showed us how to do it. He says, if you'll follow the way I have told you to do this, if you'll follow the uh, the pattern of my life, you will be successful in reaching others and bringing them to my kingdom. And I don't know recently if you've read the gospel, but Jesus didn't own a car. In fact, he told someone who was interested in following him, he said, I want to be one of your disciples. He said, it's okay if you want to be my disciple, but you need to understand the terms here. I don't have a house. In fact, the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We've become way too comfortable with living with who we are or who we have become. 
our society today is fixated, somehow is fixated on the idea that if you desire it, then you should have it. And not only that, but you should have it quickly. And if you have to cheat somebody else to get it, that's okay. The society is a me society. If I believe it, it's okay. If I want it, I should have it. It's just the society in which we live. You know, unfortunately, these ideas have crept into our own ranks. And somehow we believe that we're do something. Well, I should have a comfortable life. Well, I should have such and such. What? What do you mean I shouldn't think about this and, and, and these material things that I'm thinking about? For following the example of Jesus, we will be ready and willing to answer his call and if necessary, even pour out our life unto death. Because that is what Jesus did. There's no question in my mind. When I read the scriptures, I see him coming here. I look at his life and it challenges me. I see him getting up early in the morning and going to bed late at night. And all the time in between, he's serving other people's needs. It records in the scripture there were some times when he didn't even have time to eat because he was so busy serving the needs of humanity around him. He came, he was talking to the woman at the well. His disciples went to get something to eat. They came back and they said, it's time to eat. He said, don't worry. He found in his service to his father all that he needed. I'd like to move down to verse 17 here for just a minute. And Paul is talking about his calling still. And he says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, wait a minute. I thought that our great commission was to, let's see, go and teach, and, and, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Yes, is that our commission? So, what is Paul saying here? Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Do you think we ever get distracted with the idea of baptism? When I say that, I'm not talking about baptism in a negative way. I'm just talking about the tally sheet that we keep sometimes. There were 42 and a half that got baptized. I'm not sure what the half was, but we almost made it. You know? I think sometimes we're a little distracted with this. Paul had his calling clear. He says, I was sent to preach the gospel. But then he goes on to say something that challenges me as I think about this. He says, not with the wisdom of words. What? How can you preach without words? I could try it here this evening, but I think I would fail pretty miserably um, in doing such a thing. But that's what it says here. He says... I was called to preach the gospel not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of non-effect. So let's dissect this statement for just a moment. If you're not preaching with words, how are you preaching? Okay, we have sign language. We could use sign language. That would be an acceptable means to preach, right? You say, I'm not using any words. Well, that's a form of words, isn't it? Sign language? I believe that what Paul is talking about here is he says, I want to preach with my life. 
I want people to see the way I live. I want people to see what I'm doing for, as the hands and feet of Jesus, and that's how I want to preach the gospel. That's how I want others to know who Jesus is by the way I live. And I think tonight, that's what I need personally in my own life. I need a better representation through the way I live about who Jesus is. I need to live a more self-sacrificing life. I need to live a more committed life. I need to live a life that is poured out as the life of Jesus was. I want to go home. I want to see Jesus come. I don't want to stay here for another 50 years. I don't know about you. I don't even want to stay here for another five years. I don't want my grandchildren to go up, grow up in this world. The world is sick. The world is dying. I'm sick. I'm dying. You don't, may not know that, but everybody here is dying. Sorry to tell you the truth, but you're all coming to the end of your life. Some sooner than later. I don't know when my time is. You don't know when your time is, but I'll guarantee you unless Jesus comes, you're going to die. Paul here lays this challenge on the table, and he says, I was sent to preach the gospel, but not with words. How many of us have a life that rightly represents the cross of Christ? Because he goes on to say there, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Have we ever made the cross of Christ of none effect by saying one thing and doing another thing, preaching one thing and living another thing? says this in verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. I would suggest to you tonight that there are many who would discourage you from a complete and total, absolute, 100% commitment to follow Jesus. They will be your friends. They might be your family. They might be your work acquaintances who will tell you, what are you doing? This is stupid. You're not thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about the future. What are you going to do when it comes time to retire? What are you going to do when it comes time for such and such? I want to retire in a different country. And it says that Abraham was looking for that city whose builder and maker was God. That's where I want to retire. You know, there's some practical realities of this world, and I don't know how to interpret them. I'm not here to give you any answers, but I am here to stir up your thinking. What is Jesus calling you to do tonight? I can't answer the question for you. I can barely answer it for myself. But I believe He's calling me to do more than I think is possible humanly. I believe He's calling me to do more than what I think I should do from a human standpoint. Because when I look at the cross of Christ, when I look at the gospel that was preached by Jesus through His life, when I look at the sacrifice He made, I realize that I have so far done nothing. I'm not coming close. I'm not near the mark. I'm not yet approaching what God wants me to do because he's calling for that kind of commitment that is beyond our understanding. But if you go on in verse 18, it says this, but unto us, speaking of this preaching of the cross through our life, because in, in verse 17, he just told you he's not going to preach with words. He's going to preach with his life. And it says, for the living, I'm going to say it that way, the living of the cross 
is to them that perish foolishness. But if you're living the cross, if you're living the life that Jesus lived here on this earth, it will be unto us which are saved the power of God. Do you need the power of God in your life? Time is running out here. I want to skip down just... Well, I'm going to read a couple of verses here at the end. Verse 27. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. So God has a totally and completely different scheme of choosing things. I don't know if you noticed that. So I'm not choosing the wise. I'm not choosing the wealthy. I'm not choosing, uh, you know, all these things. Not wise, not noble, not mighty. I'm choosing the foolish things. I'm choosing the weak things. I'm choosing the base things. I'm choosing the despised things. I'm choosing the things that are not to even make not the things that are. God has a plan to take the weak things and make them His instruments. And sometimes we feel weak, don't we? Sometimes we think it can't happen. It's not possible. John chapter 15, verse 16 says this. You didn't choose me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And if you read that verse in a very personal way, you will discover that God has chosen you. Yes, we are called and yes, we are chosen, but there's one thing in our theme here, called, chosen, committed. My Bible says I was called. My Bible says I have been chosen, but my Bible does not say that I have committed. That's my choice. That's a decision that I will have to make. There's no chance that I could misinterpret the calling of God if I read the Scriptures. There's no chance that I could misinterpret that God has chosen me specifically and individually if I read the Scriptures. But the choice is mine and the choice is yours tonight about commitment. What level of commitment will you make? And it's unfortunate from a human standpoint anyway that God only has one number he knows about and that's the 100% commitment. With me, it's completely impossible that I should even be able to consider a 100% commitment because I'm a selfish human being. I was born that way. I, uh, the Bible says I was born in sin. I was born a selfish person. I've been trying to get over it, but it's hard. How, how many of you know that? It's hard. It's hard. But I have the promise of this thing that Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God wants to start, I mean, He wants to finish what He starts. And He's going to keep working on us. He's going to keep helping us. And I believe that if we will commit ourselves under His calling and His choosing, 
that He will do some absolutely amazing things with us. You're here this weekend at ASI. You didn't come here by accident. You're here because God called you here. You're going to go to the exhibit hall because there's someone God wants to connect you with there. There's ministry happening all over the world that needs people. Jesus himself said, the harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. God is looking for people. He could do it with the angels, it's true, but he's chosen to do it with people. He's chosen to do it with people like me and people like you that simply say, okay. He called some fishermen, and it says they turned their back on their nets, and they left their nets, and they went and followed Jesus, and they left all behind and followed him. He called a rich young ruler, and the rich young ruler turned away, and Jesus was sad when he turned away because he had given a call to this young man. He saw potential in him, but the young man refused to leave behind the things that he was attached to. Revelation chapter 17. In verse 14, it says this. Talking about the war that's going on, the great war, it says these, speaking of the beast, these shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. God is looking for a generation that will accept his call. God is looking for a generation that will accept his choosing. God is looking for a generation that will be faithful to make a commitment to him. And tonight, you as a living, breathing human being on planet Earth have the opportunity to accept that call, to make a commitment to God and to be a part of this group. It says the Lamb shall overcome them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and that's who we serve. And all things are possible through Christ. I want to be in that group. The war is on. You've got to choose your side. I've heard people say you need to choose your battle. I think you need to choose your side. You need to choose your side and make a 100% commitment. That's what I want to do. May God grant us mercy here this weekend that we will understand his calling and realize the generation in which we live and step up to the idea that there's some commitments we need to make for him. May God bless you. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.